0: Dear listener, welcome to Stories from the Atlantic. Waking up at 7.30 was the first item on the to-do list of January 25th, 2018, lying on my night table, followed by various micromanaged moments. This was supposed to be an incredibly productive day, full of micro-tasks, baby steps of progress. Instead, I kept sleeping, stuck in a nightmare, where I was walking around in downtown Reykjavik, with multiple shopping bags feeling just fine until I realize, to my massive horror and disbelief that I'm a shopaholic and that my life is flawed to the core. I'm suddenly woken by the phone and my childhood friend, Artnimor Sturluson, asks me if I'm gonna join him. It's 10 to nine and there's a message from 52 minutes ago simply asking if I wanna join him on a hike to Helgafell mountain. The dream quickly fades and I, groggy, ask for two minutes to consider. If the dream entailed deep and troubling psychological issues, I'm sure they'll reappear for later diagnosis. Ten minutes later, I'm out the door with unbrushed teeth. Breakfast awaits me, which in Ardnur's case has been porridge for the last 20 years, though he's recently advanced to adding exotic fruits and berries to his otherwise minimalist morning ritual. Helgafell Mountain is a short drive from Reykjavík, Iceland's capital. At the edge of Hapnafjörður, a smaller town close to Reykjavík, where I grew up to the age of six, the residential streets give way to horse stables and a small spruce forest on the left-hand side. At any time of day, you'll see horse riders trotting or galloping or whatever forward movement the horse is made to take, Töld, of course, being the most famous, a kind of animal superpower, the fifth gate of the Icelandic horse. Whatever their gait was on that morning, their breath in the cold air, steamy and white, was clearly visible. The weather was wonderful. At 10 a.m., the sun had come up, but had not yet reached over the tops of the mountains in the east, and the temperature was minus 6 degrees Celsius or 21 degrees Fahrenheit. Aska, Arne's dog, seems to get her cue at the sight of horses, a signal that in about four minutes, she'll have an hour or so to release her manic energy. Why dogs seem to whimper in anguish when actually they're excited is beyond me. The mountain, Helkafet is and has been a very important place for a lot of people. It's both a popular hiking area, relatively easy and accessible, and also a site for a summer camp since the early 20th century, founded on a Christian ideology mixed with the needs of a fast-growing capital. Here at the base of the mountain, surrounded by lava fields, streams and a forest nearby, youth ran and played, explored and experienced life, far from parental oversight, but under a constant institutional gaze that taught that God watches over all of it. Helgafell looks weirdly unique in a landscape of lava fields. It's different from the unbroken row of mountains behind it, which are the Blue Mountains and Brennistensfjall, Sulfur Mountains, a long unbroken row of Palaganite tough mountains, a wall dividing much of the Reykjanes Peninsula from east to west. Helgafell, meaning either Holy Mountain, or simply the Mountain of Halki, as in the male name, always makes me think of destruction. It looks like a massive mess, a broken brown, sandstone texture, with occasional patches of dark grey rock, result of its subglacial origin, where basalt transformed to pelagonite tuff due to the presence of water, in this case, glacier ice. The hike, well-known but less well-marked, especially if you should catch a sudden blizzard, starts at the edge of the water reservoir of Kaltoser. Here the drinking water for the nearby town of Habnafjordur wells up from under the lava surrounded by an eight foot fence, a minimalist structure considering the value of the resource behind it. Underfoot is a strangely worn path in the actual lava stone, leading slightly uphill between low hills on either side. The path on that day was covered by solid ice of various thickness, some cracking underfoot, some thick enough to carry a car. I used to often come here by myself, by car, motorcycle, wandering through a landscape that often reminded me of the door song, The End. There's often a silence, an acoustic, that is unique to the valley southwest of the mountain. In those special conditions, it's like a calm descended on me, and the space felt protected from the presence of daily life. Within 20 minutes of walking, We had talked about water reservoirs, various national bans on native languages, Korean and Catalan, hijacking of heathen holidays by the Christian religion, the state of the hiking path and animal shit as fertilizer. We spoke briefly about each topic, though the last one was closest to becoming a disagreement when we found ourselves in a debate of good shit versus bad shit based on dog shit. Recently it was reported that North Korea was using human feces for fertilizer and made it an official policy. The situation in the country, according to aid groups, has become more desperate since South Korea has stopped shipping fertilizer and rice over to its neighbor slash enemy, and therefore human waste has gained a price tag. The conversation took place over a pile of frozen horseshit laying just left of the path. Its texture and composition much better and more natural, according to me, than dog shit, since only recently a dog owner disagreed, but we left a pile of shit and debate behind us. Moving on to the next subject, a story Artne had heard on This American Life, about a mistake by two young maintenance workers in the U.S. Army. The mistake could have seemed minor, as they only dropped the bolt, except they were working in a nuclear silo on a nuclear missile. The small mistake soon turned huge as it penetrated the rocket, which started leaking gas, at which point the young men made the second mistake. Of not telling the truth of what had actually happened. Long story short, a row of mistakes led to the underground nuclear rocket silo exploding with a surprising twist, which I'll leave for your own listening pleasure. Around the corner of the mountain, turning to the east, the path rises a few feet, where the lava must have taken a small drop on its way down slope. In front of us was about two to three miles of lava, made up of two to three individual lava fields, until the blue mountains rise steeply from the lava plateau. They are made of pālagonite tuff, the result of subglacial eruptions, while fissure eruptions, which often mean miles of earth rip open and lava spilling out, building up hills or mountains, are common further out on the Reykjanes Peninsula. Further to the left, northeast, are three distinct little cone-shaped hills sticking out of the ground at the edge of a hill. Without snow, it's easy to see where the lava flowed from the craters, Three nukagigar and down the hill towards our present location. What we don't see are the dozens of caves hidden beneath the surface of the lava, known as lava tubes. These are created when basaltic lava flows in a channel, just like a river, but the surface crushed over slowly, forming a roof. As the flow of the lava increases and decreases, the roof thickens. Eventually the eruption ends, and if the lava empties out of the tube, a cave is left behind. Most tubes never empty out, and many of those that do, Collapse in the first few years, as the rock shrinks with cooling, and the ceiling breaks. But still, thousands remain hidden from view. We made an awkward attempt to give a live this description of our present location. So this is the east side of.
1: This is the southeast side.
0: Southeast side, anyway. It's kind of the east side. East side of. It's uh, also kind of the south. Hell yeah! Shut up, please. <laughs> so the the east side. Of Helgafell.
1: Holy mountain anyway, the, we were on the, the, the east side,
0: or southeast side, of Helgafell the and mountain. the sun's rays had just and reached the top of the mountain, bathing its, its like brown rock in a sharp golden light, kind of slowly moving down the slope. And Three and quarters of the way up, there's a thick stone arch, arch with rocks scattered below. It's a very different feel and look from the famous Arches National Park, which me and Aortne visited together five years ago, hiking up to the massive, soft-shaped Arches of Utah. It's also where we filmed a never-before-released short film, in which I randomly roam through various desolate landscapes of southern Utah, dressed in a red Union suit, which is a one-suit underwear, originating from Utica in New York, patented in 1868 barefoot and with an actual fighter jet pilot helmet, though the job title of Jet Pilot has been held by Ardney for the last 15 years as a commercial pilot. Nobody here. Dog Still, we have it the was I lines. who played the surrealistic and silent role of a pilot lost, ending at a private swimming pool in Ukiah, Northern California. Aside from the arch in front of us by Helkafettl Mountain, the story just told has no relevance to our hike. We gave it a second try to describe our surroundings. Birch, I think this is birch, right? Yeah, it's
1: birch. The, the rock is kind of like rough seas, like vertical rough seas, right? Like wavy. Yeah, it's really wavy, but really windy, like it's really... Small but it's crazy. hollow Some
0: spaces on the side really of the mountain, really small birch texture, trees, rubble of rock, brown color, an arch, and a bit of ground-hugging vegetation is pretty much all that meets the eye. Yeah. To The southeast is a road which we know very well from our teenage years, Traveling near daily to the Blue Mountains for snowboarding. Um, up to yeah.
1: I remember these mornings, like calling in, like kind of pre-internet days. You had to call, see if it was open. Was, it a, was it a? It was like an automated. Yeah, 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 yeah. And sometimes I was I was so tired that I was hoping it would be closed so I could go back to sleep.
0: And now seldom used road 90 crossing 90 lava fields yeah. is still a trigger of memories yeah. for both of us. Being 15 years old, being obsessed with snowboarding, being happy, being a teenager, restless.
1: Drag your your teenage lazy ass out the door and go snowboarding all day.
0: In my case, studies seemed irrelevant compared to the joy, adrenaline, camaraderie and carelessness that snowboarding offered. And now, 20 years later, that road is the path to the past when snowboarding taught us to face our own limits and fears, gave us a sense of purpose beyond what school or parents could. Now, in our mid-thirties, I guess it's called, such extreme simplicity seems distant, weighed down by work, money, obligations, or just a feeling that we should always be doing something else. However, on that day, walking around Helkafet, we were one step closer to the simplicity of earlier years. On the northeast side of the mountain, we found a clear sheet of ice. The thickness varied, but the stage was set for an impromptu performance. The soloist playing an ice heart of broken acoustics. Pieces of ice shattered and slid over the surface like Demoliss and Derby meets Curling meets John Cage, a fine contemporary orchestra, before we carried on. As we walked the last part of our hike, Árni told me of a walk his great-grandfather, Sturr Leonson, had done in 1915. He was unsure of the exact details of the journey except that it entailed passing the highlands of Iceland on foot with his dog in early spring which is far from being a safe time to travel. The walk from Bárodárdalur in the north, crossing the highlands to reach the south part of the country, became a nationally known feat, here recounted by Árni's brother, Jón Sturdluson, Sturluson, who retraced the steps of his great-grandfather on the 100th year anniversary, as well as the 90th, joined by his father, grandfather, and brothers.
1: The distance there is uh, roughly 250 kilometers, uh, a trip that was considered uh, in the best conditions, a three-day journey by horse. The plan was to uh, do it by by by, by skis. He uh, the weather in, in the north had been quite cold. It was early early spring. So na- naturally, this this was considered to be a very bad I- bad idea. He was um, known for for being uh, a very strong man. He he had been a guide in long journeys. Uh, and his father before him. So so he he was quite experienced as a traveler, but still this was considered to be almost foolhardy.
0: Neighbors of a nearby farm were unable to persuade him to reconsider, so he was joined for the first day and night, spent
1: in a snow house. And his friend then returned the early next morning, and Sturtla, and, uh, my, my grandfather, continued. It started out... Uh, uh, quite well the the weather was uh, reasonable, a lot of fog though to start with but but it it cleared up and and started to look better. He could see better, but he could see that there was some shimmering in in on the horizon, which turned out to be uh rivers that had cleared from from the snow.
0: The implications of this meant that the ideal conditions he hoped for were literally cut into pieces by dozens of open-flowing rivers. Crossing them not only slowed him down, but risked his safety by frostbite, hypothermia and possible drowning were he to fall. At the end of the second day, unharmed, he made camp in a challenging location.
1: Uh, And uh, stayed the next night, or made his second camp, uh, upon a glacier, Havsjökull. so he continued, and 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 the same problems persisted. That that all the rivers that he reached had to be uh, crossed by by wading them. There was no 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 snow bridges anywhere. Conditions for the skis were also very difficult. They were like, uh, so he had to uh, remove his skis and, and 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 walk in 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 um, snow slush that that really did not work with his the kind of skis you had in those days. Finally, he. Uh, misstepped or or something and and broke one of his skis so he had to completely leave them behind
0: at one of the river crossings the journey changed drastically
1: one of the most dramatic events or so on the on the journey was was his uh when he came to a, a river called Dalshao with tr- strong currents he made the, the the crossing after some difficulties had to try on several places and and uh, Broke his uh, his staff on on the, on the way over, and and uh, his it got separated from from his dog that was left on the on the north bank. To cut a long story short, the the, the dog was never seen again. So probably he, he tried to cross the river and and and, and failed. Uh, went down with the stream into the gorge, and and he explains that that after that this was the, after the after he lost the dog. This was the first time he got sort of scared or or thought he didn't sort of feel comfortable with, with, with the trip.
0: As me and Árni were finishing our easy, safe and short walk, 103 years after his great-grandfather's trip, there was a strangely symbolic moment, like a glimpse into the past. I had stopped to record sounds, but Árni kept walking. Aska, his dog, stopped, seemingly confused, looking at me and her owner, walking away. For a full two minutes, she seemed frozen, hesitant of what to do, before finally running after her owner. I thought of the moment of the river crossing, and what emotions went through the mind of the owner and his dog. Death was certain for one of them at that moment, and perhaps for both, as more than a 100 kilometers of uncertainty lay ahead. In the end, Sturgla had spent over three days traversing 250 kilometers through Iceland's harsh and unpredictable highlands, reaching the safety of a farm on the south side. He had taken a risk, battled the elements, and overcome challenges that are now considered close to impossible, gaining him some fame in Iceland's long history of wilderness travel, recounted in the book series Rakningar or Heidarveir, or Trouble on Mountain Roads. But the big question remains, why did Sturla Jónsson, a young man in 1915, decide to embark on a solo journey that could have easily left him dead.
1: It was known uh, that that travel by foot in this time of year uh, over the highlands was extremely difficult and dangerous, and, and he still decided to go. Uh, so he probably was considered to be uh, a little bit uh, foolhardy. But uh, it's, it seems obvious that a clear uh, factor in the decision was that he had already... Uh, decided to to meet his fiancee and they they were planning to start their home just that spring and he was very eager and anxious to 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 start out as, as soon as possible
0: and so the journey of sturtle Jonsson ended in 1915 safely in the arms of his soon-to-be wife siri the mother to their nine children eight making it into adulthood and so began the history of the entire family which now four generations later in some way owe their existence to the achievement of Stuart Leonson's foolhardy but romantic journey. And on that note, we end this episode of stories from the Atlantic.